Hello, and welcome to Not Your Mother's Library, a reader's advisory podcast from the Oak Creek Public Library. I'm one of your hosts, Rachel. This month, we are lucky enough to be collaborating with another podcast. Longtime listeners might remember our original host, Melody, who has since gone on to become a member of the team at North Shore Library. They have their own podcast called Book Chat, which is similar to this in that they discuss books, authors, and all that other fun stuff. Right now, I am joined by Melody so that we can talk about graphic novels for adults. Thanks for being here with us, Melody. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. (laughs) Same here. Uh, Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself so that we can get reacquainted? Yes. So it's been a while since I've been over at uh, Not Your Mother's Library Mm -hmm. um, and Oak Creek. Uh, So I am the head of adult services at the North Shore Library. I have been a public librarian for, I think, three years Uh, It might be four, actually. We might be coming up on four. And I love doing this podcast. Like, I loved doing it with you, Rachel. And I do one over at my library. (laughs) It's one of my favorite parts of the job. Uh, So, yeah, super excited to be doing this. I cannot wait to get started. As voracious comic fans, we have plenty of material to discuss. Before we get started, I do want to encourage our listeners to visit the Book Chat at North Shore Library channel. Just like this podcast, you can listen in a variety of ways. Visit soundcloud.com slash northshorelibrary, find their feed using your favorite podcast site or app, or check the show notes here for a direct link. You'll never be left wanting for recommendations if you follow both of our channels. And now, without further ado, let's dive into the episode. So, um, yeah, this month we're going to be talking about graphic novels. Uh, I had fun reading for this this month's episode. Same. We've got, yeah, we've got a hefty list, so I think we should probably jump in. And I think, Rachel, you have our first title. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, a few months ago, I read this book. It's an indie graphic novel called Suncatcher, written by Jose Pimienta. It is a modern take on the classic deal with the devil plot. So a teenager named Beatriz is balancing school life with leading an up-and-coming band that aims to revolutionize the Mexicali music scene, which I know absolutely nothing about. (laughs) We soon find out that she is also doing her utmost to create the perfect song so that she can free her grandfather's soul from where it's been imprisoned inside of a guitar. And I bet you didn't see that coming. Um, The deal is that he will be released if Beatrice can finish writing her grandfather's, quote, killer song, unquote. No pressure, right? (laughs) Turns out, too much pressure, actually, because Beatrice is so focused on helping her grandfather, she starts to slip at school, and the friendships that she's made over the years with members of the band also suffer. She exhibits a lot of obsessive-compulsive behaviors, It's to the point where her mental health is definitely taking some serious damage, as are her emotional ties and even her personal hygiene after a point. In striving for perfection, she wrests control away from everyone else in the band. Now, I am not a musician, but I do know that people who pursue it seriously are incredibly dedicated. I think that Pimienta is making the point that perfection is impossible. 
writing music should be about developing and improving with the eventual goal of releasing your songs into the world. Sometimes, if you're lucky, the goal can be achieved through collaboration, but in no way should you sacrifice everything for a moving target. Beatrice suffers for her art, literally, but she does emerge from her crisis as someone who is eventually able to heal and properly mourn her grandfather, a relative who was clearly very close to her. Now, I would categorize this work as magical realism, although it could be argued that the whole play the perfect song to set your loved one free, <laughs> that could be more of a grief-based thing than anything else. Uh, maybe the man's soul really is trapped, or maybe Beatrice just wants to hang on to him a little bit longer. Ultimately, that is up to the reader to decide. Uh, it has to be said that my favorite part of this graphic novel is the art style. It has bold black line work offset by muted yellows and oranges, hazy purples and blues, and only the occasional bright pop of red. And this gives the work a hot, dry aesthetic. You can always tell when it's night versus day with these visual cues alone. The art is actually why I picked up Suncatcher to begin with, and I highly recommend it. Cool. So you, this book mm-hmm. brought up um, something that we talked a little bit about in our last episode, um, kind of like what makes art good. Okay. Which is an easy question to answer, oh, clearly. Definitely. <laughs> and also, obviously, why I brought it up because I always listen to your episodes of the podcast without fail. Uh, no, so last, last month we talked about um, Milk and Honey, the book of poetry. Um, Rupi Kaur, I believe. Yes, yes. And the controversy and criticism around her works, mm-hmm. how she's really loved and really hated. and the style versus emotion choices um, that she makes. So this reminds me of that because it's kind of, this seems to be asking, does art become good when it's perfect? Right. Yeah. Or is it about something else? Like Mm -hmm. is the style the most important? Um, And I think it's interesting because this sort of tends to hint that even even if you make it as perfect as possible, it needs something more mm-hmm. to be good. Yeah. I think with art, there's never really an end point. It's always evolving and it's up to the creator to decide, okay, now it's ready to be put out into the world. Take it or leave it. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. Apparently I'm in as the arguing <laughs> mood. <laughs> So that that does mean that artists who paint a canvas, a solid color, just a blue rectangle, uh-huh. can say, like, I felt like it was ready for the world. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's, there are two aspects to this. So there's the artist deciding it's ready, and there's the audience deciding not so much if it's good, but if they like it or not, or de- deem it art themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the audience is an important piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it raises the question of, does art need to have meaning to be meaningful? Mm. Yeah. I don't have an answer to that one. It's a good question. <laughs> Maybe our listeners will know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, just some food for thought yes. for you for for later. <laughs> um, 
but I do think my favorite my the favorite my favorite time when artists break the rules is when like they know them and they can execute them well mm-hmm. so when artists are extremely talented or musicians and they can play beautiful pieces that's when they can break the rules on purpose and mm-hmm. it's good yeah it's kind of something that has to be earned you have to put in all that effort to get to that point to yeah. then do with it whatever you will yeah cool yeah all right put that one on the list absolutely and <laughs> i can't wait to hear what you have read because i did look at your notes and i'm very excited to talk about it <laughs> yeah so uh my first book i'm going to talk about is called the underwater welder by jeff lemire um this is a standalone so a lot of graphic novel options are part of the series so mm-hmm. if you want um something shorter you can just read one book and be done this is a good option um it's also all in grayscale, so just black and white pieces of art um nothing in color and um the themes of this graphic novel are kind of equal parts blue collar character study and um a mystery that's very confusing and you want to know the answers. Um, this also really heavily themes on fathers and sons, um, birth and death, and memory and reality. So The Underwater Welder is about Jack Joseph, who is, no surprise, an underwater welder. <laughs> um, he works on an oil rig off the coast of Nova Scotia, which I did not read about until after I read the, the graphic novel. But I think there was a hint in there at some point that they were Canadian. Okay. Um, and he, his young wife is expecting a baby, so he's got impending fatherhood looming upon him. Um, and the more he, you see him diving in the water, um, you really see him pulling away from his wife and unborn son, and um, realize that there are a lot of pieces involving his history and past that are coming into play with his distancing himself from his new family. Um, On top of all that, one night, a very mysterious and supernatural encounter on the ocean floor changes everything. And that's all I'm going to say to you. Oh, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) You have to read the rest to find that out. Um, But this, this, Read is kind of melancholy, um, but also very mysterious. Um, there's a lot of uh, themes of trauma and memory and contemplating life. Um, the main character, Jack, is like not very present in his own world. His, he's really in his own head and own memories. Um, and very it's a very thought-provoking graphic novel. It had me thinking for a while, even just for being one... Um, graphic novel. So that's my recommendation. I definitely want to read that one. Jeff Lemire, uh, isn't he the comic book? I can't remember if he's the writer or the artist for the Descender series, Oh, which is a comic book series we actually talked about. I think it was maybe the first episode of Not Your Mother's Library way back in the day. This is so long ago. I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> um, but if, it, if he is the artist for that, he has a very interesting style. He does, this book does have an interesting art style mm-hmm. um, that's very line-heavy because it is in grayscale. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he draws characters' faces is pretty uh, unforgiving. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would not want him to do my portrait, then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad, but it is, sure. like, you can see their worry and their trauma and their pain on their faces. Um, and then the, the images of um, Jack diving into the ocean are really beautiful. Um, and I also liked he... So, you know, most graphic novels will have um, lines of squares or rectangles that you kind of read from left to right, top mm-hmm. to bottom. Yeah. So he occasionally some pages will have like the first two lines of the page will be those rectangles. So you, you, you're reading the story like square by square. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom half of the page, which has, I don't know, like nine rectangles altogether those in a total make up one image oh, that wow. are like spaced out yeah. between the white spaces. So I like the variety in the art style. Um, it's really interesting and it it's useful in the storytelling purpose. Sure. Yeah, I, I love it when comic book, book artists kind of, I don't want to say mess with the format, but kind of make it their own. Breaking the rules. Yeah, breaking the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Because they've mastered their craft and they can now break it. <laughs> oh, it all ties in, guys. That's <laughs> a <It's a> conspiracy. <laughs> I wasn't even planning for this to no, happen. Of course you weren't. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely on my to-read list. Um, if it's okay, I want to talk about my next series. Yes. Um, I want to talk about the latest run on the Mature Audience graphic novel series entitled Lucifer. So just right there, you know, it's for adults only, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This series started coming out in 2018 and is written by Dan Waters. It tells the tale of the devil introduced in Neil Gaiman's famed comic series The Sandman and Melody when you co-hosted Not Your Mother's Library. We did an episode called Comics and Capes, and I believe you read the first volume of Sandman for that episode, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I also almost put it on my list for this episode. (laughs) So I was like, what have I read that I can talk about? And then remembered that I have talked about it on an episode with you. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, Both Sandman and this new run on Lucifer, they're incredible series. Um, it was, and Sandman especially, it's a huge influencer in the scene. It was published during the early 90s, uh, so be sure to look into that if you're interested and can handle dark themes. As I mentioned, the character Lucifer Morningstar was introduced there. This fella decided that he was tired of ruling over hell, so he abandoned his post in favor of opening a piano bar in Los Angeles, as you do when you're the Prince of Lies. <laughs> <laughs> this particular version of the character became popular enough that there was an eponymous offshoot series written by Mike Carey in the early 2000s. So we've got Sandman in the 90s, <laughs> the first run of Lucifer in the 2000s, and then this one that I'm going to talk about in a minute, all the way in 2018. And I've read Mike Carey's run. It's not bad by any means, but Carrie's idea of Lucifer seems to have little in common with the one established in Sandman. He acts holier than thou, as can be expected from the first of the fallen, but it comes across in an almost flat, two-dimensional way, I guess. He isn't what I would describe as sly or even charming. 
Truth be told, this Lucy does not hold a candle to the colorful, colorful character that burst out of the pages in that long-ago issue of Sandman. They even look different to one another, which could be attributed to the varying art styles, but I personally think that it goes well beyond that. Um, now, I only mention all of this because the new series of Lucifer that came out in 2018, as I've said, sees the character return to his roots as Gaiman probably intended. That's the feeling I get, anyway. You can just tell it's the same cocksure fallen angel who said F it to lording over hell and caring what other people think about him. Not whatever stony-faced version took over for a while in the other series. Hmm. This guy has the original physicality, too, and the art style is also very similar to that scene in The Sandman, which obviously helps. This run is actually a direct continuation of Mike Carey's, but like I said, it is a lot closer to the source material. In fact, I don't even recommend reading Carey's series first in order to enjoy Waters' version. You can easily take them as two separate units. So, in the first volume of Waters' series, we open with Lucifer having no idea who he is or what he's capable of. He's been banished to a sort of in-between world and needs to get out before time's up. The next volume deals primarily with his son Caliban, and yes, that is the same Caliban depicted in Shakespeare's The Tempest. Gaiman really likes playing around with uh, Shakespearean characters. Which one is Caliban again? So he's kind of like the, I guess I describe him as the Frankenstein monster that Prospero, I guess, creates. I don't remember if Prospero creates him more. Yeah, I think he does, because Prospero is the wizard character, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Caliban is with them on the island. Okay. He's like that humongous beast of a man. I don't remember him, but I believe oh, you. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> He's great. <laughs> um, in the third volume of Lucifer, it ties in The Wild Hunt, which is a story straight out of European folklore. And a fourth and probably final volume released not too long ago, and though I have not dived into it yet myself, it proclaims to bring longtime readers full circle. So, in the Sandman, there's this guy called Dream. He and his brothers and sisters are known as the Endless, who are an undying group of beings with all these sorts of powers that help shape life as we know it. Lucifer is not a fan of the Endless, and his power actually rivals theirs. So in this final volume, he decides to visit Destiny of the Endless, and Destiny is the oldest of them all. That should be an interesting confrontation. Alright, so we have Neil Gaiman to thank for all these incredible characters, and his work has spawned a whole lot of stories. Right around the time that the new Lucifer came out, DC Com Comics published a slew of other limited-run series, all set within the Sandman universe. The one that I want to highlight, apart from Lucifer, obviously, is called The Dreaming. It's about the many creatures that inhabit the world made by Dream of the Endless, who I just mentioned, and for reasons that I won't spoil, the place starts to decay. Now, because the inhabitants of The Dreaming are an intrinsic part of that world, they too start to fall apart. It is bonkers. <laughs> So whether you are already a Sandman fan or have never picked up a volume in your life, you can check out The Dreaming to get swept away to a crazy, crazy place. <laughs> if you enjoy it, you can always read more with other series like House of Whispers and Books of Magic, both of which exist in the same comic verse. Hmm. Yeah. 
So, the, um, I haven't read any of the Lucifer series. Um, I am aware that there is a TV show yes. on Netflix <laughs> called Lucifer. Uh-huh. Is that related in any way? Very loosely. I will say that is one of, used to be one of my guilty pleasure, pleasure shows. Um, recent seasons haven't been so great, but it's okay. still good for eye candy. Um, I'll be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is based on the character created by Neil Gaiman. Um, Apart from that, it's very different. It's like a buddy cop detective drama, kind of weekly crime show. Um, It's also a comedy. So there's that. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I have noticed recently in a lot of the content I've been consuming that there is a heavy theme of like the angry, disgruntled, but charming and likable main character. Mm-hmm. Does Lucifer fit this bill? Um, it's, I suppose, in a way, yes, because he's obviously not happy with his daddy, <laughs> so to speak. But, um, he isn't human, so he isn't your typical character in that. Uh, you can't relate to him in most ways just because he is one of the fallen and he has very different preconceptions about the way the universe works Mm. and he's I would say ageless so he's been around a long time and he does Mm. not view things in the same way that we would Uh, so just that alone I think kind of sets him apart now, the TV show Lucifer, yeah, he's very much what you described. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> cool. Well, this sounds good. Is this a, um, if one were to read book one, mm-hmm. would they be dedicating a lot of their time to the rest of the series? No. Um, so this is a limited run series, so there are only the four volumes. Like I said, I'm pretty sure this fourth one is going to be the last and a lot of that has to do with uh, popularity and seeing if they'll, they'll test these out kind of as one shots a lot of the time. But if they're popular enough, they'll keep them running. But also, I think um, from the get go, I think this series in particular was just decided to be a very closed story. Um, each volume kind of has its own little thing going on, but then there is an overarching tale. So no, if, if you wanted to get in and you've never read Sandman or anything, this is a great place to start. And if you don't like it, then you don't have to carry on with the other series, you know? You have permission to quit reading. Yes. Do you I hear that? specifically <laughs> give you permission, which you need from me. <laughs> well, cool. Great. So um, to transition, speaking of things disintegrating and other things disintegrating with them, I'm going to talk about the Marvel Universe. (laughs) And if you get that really bad reference, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then watch Marvel. So um, I read um, the Vision graphic novel by Tom King. um, And the artists are Gabrielle Hernandez-Walta and Michael Walsh. and then Jordi Belair is the colorist. There are other people cited in the descriptions. It's a lot of names to read, so I apologize to all of the creators. You are all wonderful. That is often the case when it comes to comics. It takes a whole team of people to get it yes. done. Yes. 
but I, I did write down the biggest names on the front page. So. You did your due diligence, then. I, I did. So um, The Vision is a two-volume series, um, and it was published in 2016. And the reason this caught my eye, and it may catch your ear as you're listening, is uh, because One Division is currently a pretty popular show on Disney+. Plus. I have seen it. Have you seen it? I have indeed. Okay. Have you finished it? Yes, yes. Okay, me too. Um, so if you liked WandaVision, this graphic novel is a really good read alike. I would recommend it. Um, and I also wanted to mention, um, as far as we know, as, as far as the date of this recording, we don't know if WandaVision will be renewed for another season. I would be pretty surprised if it wasn't. Yeah. It was received very well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we hear that it, it doesn't, then maybe this graphic novel can comfort you <laughs> in some way. <laughs> um, I also would recommend, um, if you want to learn more about Wanda and Vision's story before you start this comic book, which, if that sounds interesting to you before you read this graphic novel, I'd recommend you do that. There are spoilers, obviously. It's a summary of their love story. Um, So that is, you can find that on marvel.com. It's an article called The Love Story of Scarlet Witch and Vision. Um, And I'll put that link in the show notes. Again, this contains spoilers about Wanda and Vision's stories. But I found it very uh, useful to have that information, having read the Vision graphic novel series. So back to Vision. Um, So this is a surreal suburban comic book drama, which is basically the description of WandaVision. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) So um, looking to start a family of his own, Vision builds himself a wife called Virginia and teenage twins, Viv and Vin. And they all look like him. They all have powers, but they all share his desire or obsession to be ordinary. Um, and then I wanted to quote part of the, you know, the little blurb that you see when you're reading about books, because I just thought it was really fun. So it says, behold, the visions, they're the family next door, and they have the power to kill us all. What could possibly go wrong? That is excellent. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> so um, this, I loved reading it. It was really interesting. Um, it's got that classic like Frankenstein's monster theme of like what makes you a human being or what makes you have a soul. What is a soul? Sure. Um, can you have a soul if you're not a human being? Um, and like, what, what do you have to do to fit in? Or do you even find that comfort and peace when you do fit in with other people? Very interesting themes that I, I enjoy reading about a lot. Um, this graphic novel series is also very colorful. The visuals are really fun. Um, And then the content is a little bit dark, and it does have that surrealism that you see um, in WandaVision as well. So, highly recommend. Nice. I I remember when watching WandaVision, I said to my husband, this might actually be a horror show. I'm not sure. (laughs) Because it has those really dark moments. Yeah. Or the, that mystery of you're not quite sure what's going on, but something is not, is not good. You mm-hmm. just don't know what it is right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it also has like, 
themes of grief, which mm-hmm. um, this graphic novel series does too. Um, but it's interesting that they don't, it's not black and white, clear cut that this is grief that's causing these characters to do these things. But um, I think it is, is in a lot of ways. That's a heavy theme in WandaVision for sure. Definitely. So highly recommend this. And if you don't mind a few spoilers, I would also recommend that you read that summary before you come to this comic book. Good idea. It always pays to do research. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, I actually, to talk about another kind of dark comic book, um, I recently picked up a copy of something called Bury the Lead, which is a one-shot by Gabby Dunn. It's a very neo-noir meets Zodiac killer kind of graphic novel. So right up my alley. (laughs) We have our protagonist, Madison, who is a journalistic intern, and she really, really wants to make a name for herself. She's thrown into a mystery involving the maybe, maybe not killer named Dahlia Kennedy. And she has been accused of brutally murdering her husband and infant child. So yes, adult graphic novels for a reason. (laughs) Um, In fact, Dahlia outright confesses to the crime. Luckily for Madison and her aspirations, though, Dahlia decides she is only going to talk to her about what really happened. Dahlia doles out tantalizing bits of evidence, while Madison begins to figure out that there is a larger conspiracy at hand, one involving corruption and some other dark, twisted things that I will not spoil. The one drawback is that Madison herself isn't what I would call a likable character. In her pursuit of a story, she often backstabs and betrays the sources closest to her, including her fellow journalists and a detective at the precinct, which honestly seems kind of short-sighted and just flat-out dumb. Because you kind of want to foster those relationships, don't you? (laughs) If that's your job. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to get promoted or a mm-hmm. raise someday. Or write any other stories in your career, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy her complexity, though, and most of the other characters are also realistic. Best of all, there's good representation of the LGBTQ community, which we are seeing happen a lot more in this format. Other than that, the artwork is great. Illustrator Claire Rowe has worked on graphic novel series like Welcome Back, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, and Nebula. She is a rising star, so keep your eye out for more of her stuff. And then the author, Gabby Dunn, is also an actress, journalist, comedian, activist, podcaster, and someone who would probably be pretty cool to hang out with, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Cool. That sounds... uh... Mm. I don't want to ask a question that would give spoilers. I can try to avoid this. Okay. Um, were you satisfied? Mm. There were some things left open at the end that I wish um, I knew more about. Um, okay. Potentially there might be a sequel. I, I think it's just going to be left at the one volume, but they did leave it open in case, you know, people are interested enough so check it out and um, <laughs> that might spur the author on to write more yeah so i like i like your answer like just go read it <laughs> does that answer your question <laughs> yeah i mean no but yes 
Um, is Dahlia a likable character? Is there anything that like keeps you enjoying the reading? Yeah, well, the, the mystery itself is the main thing because I am a big fan of mystery and figuring out who done it. And even though Dahlia confesses, we're not really sure if she actually committed the crime or not. So she's very intriguing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I think we are on to our final book. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we warned in the beginning, I will just say it again so you have a chance. Um, this book does uh, contain some mature adult adult content and themes that we will be discussing. And um, this graphic novel is called Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and Chip Zartsky. I did not just giggle at the name. <laughs> Um, yes, sex criminals. Say it with me, Rachel. You can do it. <laughs> sex criminals. <laughs> if I can say it, you can say it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, this is an ongoing monthly comic book uh, labeled as a sex comedy, which who knew that that would be a genre? <laughs> um, and I'm not... I did some research to try to see if this is still an ongoing series. Um, cause I've just, I've started the series. I have not finished it. Um, and I'm not sure if they're still publishing every month right now. There are six volumes available. Um, you can get them through the Milwaukee County library system. Um, but the most recent volume was published in November of 2020. So, I think it's still ongoing and that there will probably be more, maybe a new volume published um, fall of this year, 2021. Um, So this was first published in September of 2013, um, which is, I guess it's not that far away. It's interesting because this is like really heavy on the the sex content and the comedy content. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty irreverent, um, which I think is more accepted now but I don't know how well it was accepted in 2013. I think it has more of a cult following than um, a pop culture following. So the um, plot of the story is, and you will appreciate this, uh, our main character is a librarian. (laughs) Her name is Susie, and her library is in trouble. And she meets John, an actor, uh, at a party. And, of course, they hit it off and sleep together. And after sleeping together, they discover that they have this amazing ability to freeze time when they reach completion. Okay. (laughs) That's a power. Yep. (laughs) It certainly qualifies. (laughs) So, um, they continue their relationship. They get to know one another, um, they start to explore their sexual histories and realize that they both had this power, I guess. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so they both had it separately and never knew anyone else who did. And can you imagine like growing up in your, you know, that adolescent time where you're learning about sex and no one talking to you about like, well, what about when time stops? Like, doesn't that happen to you too? I see. So I thought when you first said it, I thought you meant that together their powers combined, they can freeze time, but it's actually something they've both individually been able to do. Yes. And so after 
post-coital, they realize that they're both still, what, like, aware and can move around yeah, from time to they're person? both steer, still in the, like, time-freezing space, mm-hmm. which they also have created name names for that time separately um, on their own. And so I did, I described the summary that way because that's how the book summary is sure, described. Sure. And then you learn that they both have it separately. Okay. So Susie, who I find much more relatable than John, calls it the quiet. So like she has this quiet time mm-hmm. after, you know. If you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, John has another name for it. Read the book if you want to know. So now they've discovered they they have this like superpower that they can use together. <laughs> And as we know, Susie's library is in trouble. And John gets this idea that they can freeze time together and start robbing banks to be able to save the library. I have questions. Yeah. (laughs) How long does um, the quiet last? Oh, this is interesting. Apparently, they've discovered... It lasts until, oh no, I'm going to get it wrong. Either it's until you're ready to, I think it's until you're ready to like be turned on again. Okay. Okay. So is it longer for Susie than it is for John in that case? That is an interesting question that I don't have an answer to yet. Sure. I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be basing that assumption on faux science, but... Right. No, it is an excellent question. Because right. um, And the, my other question was how... And this was not addressed. How does the timing work out? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always guaranteed that both people are going to be at that place right. at the same time. Yeah. You know? I don't have an answer to that either. Um, And the book doesn't really address it. At least I'm in the first volume. That hasn't really been addressed yet, but they both kind of end up in this space. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So they they set out on this mission, this Robin Hood mission to save the library, um, which means they're like going into public bathrooms, (laughs) creating... The quiet. That is why I asked about the time frame. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Then they pull off the robbery and go home and time continues as normal. So it's really clearly very irreverent, Mm -hmm. but quite funny Um, and fast paced. I got through it very quickly. Um, The ends are not tied up. So this is a continuing series. And um, some other people get involved and you begin to learn that this is, uh, there's more to this superpower, question mark, than even appears in the first volume. Sure. Um, Yes. So if this description didn't make you cringe or feel awkward, you might enjoy this graphic novel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I was hesitant to even talk about it, but it's so funny. 
Yeah, I think I, that's why I would read it for the comedic aspect. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it's a difficult thing to pitch if you take it too seriously. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we both have questions. <laughs> so um, many questions. Yeah. Yep. So that's my final graphic novel. <laughs> Excellent. Good place yes. to end it on. <laughs> yep. I apologize to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no apologies needed. Thank you. I mean, I didn't write it, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Please remember to subscribe and rate us if you like what you hear so that more listeners can find out about our shows. Um, remember to check the show notes to learn more about everything we just talked about and find links to each other's feeds. I want to thank you, Melody, for joining us today. It has been a lot of fun. You're welcome. Anytime you want me to talk about an uncomfortable book, just let me know. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be the first person I call. (laughs) Until next time, listeners, happy reading. Bye. Bye. Bye.